Hello and welcome to CityWire's Funds Fanatics show. I'm Jeremy Gordon, Assistant Editor of Funds Insider and Investment Trust Insider here at CityWire, and I'm very pleased to be joined on the podcast today by Premier Mighton's Gervais Williams. Gervais is a stalwart UK equity investor with a particular interest in the very smallest listed companies. He runs two open-ended funds and two investment trusts with his colleague Martin Turner, so plenty to talk about today. But making the ground a bit easier to cover, these break, break down into two distinct UK equity strategies with a pair of funds and investment trusts focusing on each approach. Gervais, welcome. Um, firstly, can you please tell us a bit more about those two different strategies you run and the funds and trusts within them? Maybe we can start with uh, smaller companies and micro caps. Yeah, actually, Jeremy, it's quite interesting because actually the overall strategy is quite similar across both parts of the different uh, investment types. But um, ultimately, we're about there, about picking out individual companies which are investing hard to generate cash paybacks in the short to medium term. Um, and it's that cash surplus and the availability of that cash surplus to generate uh, not just return, but actually the ability to invest further or to pay dividends, which is the ultimate driver. So coming back to the, uh, the Premier Might and UK Small Companies Fund, the uh, UK Microcap Trust, uh, the Might and UK Microcap Trust, effectively, they are the smaller end. Um, the UK uh, small companies include small companies and microcaps. The microcap trust is more dedicated to companies below 150 million market cap at the time of purchase in general. But most particularly, these are companies which are investing to generate immediate cash paybacks. They're not mini unicorns. They're rather different from that. They're regular businesses with immediate cash and cash generation in surplus coming through very quickly uh, after, hopefully after investment. So these are already profit making well established businesses just on the smaller side. You know, some are moving from loss to profit, but most particularly, they don't need any more funding. And the real reason why I'm emphasizing that is sometimes things don't go as quickly as you'd expect. Maybe it was a Brexit or some other event. Uh, that means that actually you have to wait a bit longer. But if they're fully funded, if they don't need more cash, the share prices might wobble about a bit. But actually, you don't dilute the long term return. And it's that ability to access a company where the risk reward ratio is attractive in the long term. And when it arrives, you know, this particular quarter or that particular quarter doesn't matter quite so much. Okay, thank you, Gervais. And and how about the income uh, strategy? Can you tell us a bit more about that? I think it's a bit different to typical UK equity income funds that invest in FTSE 100 giants, you know, sometimes almost exclusively. Well, that's right. I mean, effectively, it's a multi-cap approach. That means it invests in the mainstream companies, including FTSE 100 companies, some 250. But it also has quite a big dollop of capital in the AIM listed uh, companies, particularly some of the mature uh, companies which already have an established profit and, and cash uh, dividend, but as they invest hard to generate uh, extra cash, they can grow their dividends, hopefully at a better rate than most others. So, so the fund is, it, it, both funds, the Diverse Income Trust and the uh, Premier Might and UK Multicap Income Fund are both selecting stocks which are generating hopefully a good yield at the time of entry, but most particularly uh, plentiful surplus cash in the short to medium term. And as that comes through again, that that's reflected not just in, in, in success, but also dividend growth. And it's the ability of those two funds ultimately to generate more income growth than most other uh, competition funds, which is ultimately the key driver for Martin and myself. Okay, thank, thank you very much, Gervais. So Maybe we can start by talking a bit more about the smaller companies fund and, and mini, the, the micro cap uh, trust, if, if that's all right. So I think these strategies have staged 
quite a major recovery since the beginning of 2020 after a bit of a difficult 2019. Uh, the UK Smaller Companies Fund had shrunk to about 35 million in size last March. Uh, today it's about 215 million and the returns have been really strong since the crash, I think, uh, up about 200%, so tripling investors' money since the March lows. And you've now soft-closed uh, the smaller companies fund to new money. Can you tell me, given that that slightly roller coaster ride, what what sorts of conversations have you been have you been having with investors in the fund and and in MIDI, the microcap trust? I think we should go back and remember what it was like in 2019. If you remember, 2019 yeah. was a year when uh, we had sort of parliamentary gridlock. Uh, there was no real uh, party in, in, in control of Parliament. And at that stage, none of us knew whether we'd actually go through Brexit without any uh, political party necessarily driving it. And there was real anxiety about that. Uh, overlaying that, we also had the Woodford worries. And if you remember the Woodford gating of the funds with the yes. unquoted companies there. And a lot of investors became concerned that perhaps some of the smaller uh, sort of unquoted companies he had there might affect uh, the valuations or the interest in investing in, in, in regular quoted companies. Uh, and so this led to a particularly difficult period where even companies which were successful continuing to announce hopefully good results, often didn't see share prices rising. And in many cases, saw share prices falling because there was a small surplus of sellers and not many buyers coming into the market. So many of our funds are, you know, Premier Might and UK Small Companies Fund are, uh, you know, Might and UK Microcap Fund, basically were in a position where they weren't generating the return, not because they weren't good companies, but just because the market wasn't really in a good position to 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 get excited about them. Uh, and that led to many of the company's share prices moving sideways, always downwards. And, and the NAV of these funds was, was weak, and, and that led to anxiety. Clearly, it's not our capital. If people want our capital, uh, then uh, they must have it. And so th there were redemptions from the small cap funds through the period. Uh, and we met, of course, all those redemptions in full right the way through. These funds are fully funded generally and they don't need uh, extra capital. One or two did disappoint. We sold those holdings naturally. But those ones which were still very much meeting our long-term targets, we just retained them. And what was interesting about the end of 2019 was we had a clear election of a, a majority government, and that was good news for the future. Uh, and then in 2020, of course, we've had the uh, ultimate Brexit agreement, uh, and that's been good news about the future too. And it's the combination of both of those which has then allowed investors to come back to many of the holdings which were already in the fund. And so there wasn't massive change in the portfolio. It didn't change very much between 2019 and 2020, but the performance was very different. And I think that yes. was really down to the nature that these companies, the long term prospects hadn't been diminished by the waiting we had to do, the extra bit of waiting we had to do. Uh, and when it came, it's been very uh, attractive. And so through that piece, it's not just that the funds had a good period in the last sort of 12 or 18 months. But most particularly, if you look at over three or five years, it's also got a strong record uh, over the longer term. So, so that's the key issue. We're here to deliver attractive returns, albeit that we can't always control market conditions along the way. Yeah, thank you. It's interesting to hear you talk a bit about the political backdrop there. Of course, Brexit took uh, an incredibly long time to sort out. And you mentioned as well the, the decisive general election victory for the Conservatives at the end of 2019. Now, sometimes people can focus too much on political events when it comes to investing. But UK smaller companies really have uh, suffered weak sentiment in recent years. Is that sometimes a frustration for you when, when politics starts affecting uh, markets or, or is it something you try and ignore and not to think too much about? You know, I think we do invest in a dynamic. I mean, there's, there's economic dynamics, there's, there's, you know, there's company dynamics, of course, but there's also political dynamics. And we, we, we as investors, we're active investors. 
We're there to make uh, good decisions, we believe, hopefully on our behalf of our clients. And we absolutely have to take a view as to what the political dynamics are going forward. So coming forward to that as active investors, when share prices were extraordinarily low in 2019, uh, there was real opportunities to pick up some more companies as the as the, the, the fund started to perform, as we got more capital in, we were able to take advantage of some of what we considered to be very overlooked valuations in companies which, to be fair, hadn't really got the full uh, you know uh, exposure which they should have had to investors because of uncertainty about Brexit, which meant that actually the risk order ratio was very attractive. And we were able, therefore, not just to make returns for our clients, but actually to enhance the returns for our clients. That, that's absolutely what active fund management is about. We're here to make serious money for clients and through all these uncertainties and the, the mismatching of prices relative to prospects, we as active managers, we can have a mix of risks, we dilute stock specific risk, but the overall portfolio risk reward ratio can be very attractive. Uh, and that's why hopefully uh, it's not just performed well over the long term, but hopefully we'll continue to do so uh, in future or be well, given that there will be zigs and zags along the way. Yes, okay, thank you. And I think, uh, quite a number of the companies which have driven the really strong returns since the beginning of 2020 are still in the portfolios. For example, a company called Jubilee Metals, the share price is, I believe, up about five times since the start of 2020. But that was still the top holding in uh, Might and UK Microcap Trust and the smaller companies fund at the end of March. So are, are you very much continuing to run your winners or, or how are you thinking about companies that have done really well? Yes, I, mean, I think Jubilee Metals is quite a good example of a company which just got very, very overlooked. I mean, you know, to say, you know, obviously a lot of our companies, we would argue, are, the valuations aren't reflecting the prospects. But uh, what happened here was during the uh, setback in, in March of last year, the valuation of the company fell to about 2p per share. Um, and the current forecasts for the year ending June, which is obviously still coming up, uh, is for 2.1 pence of earnings. So the company was actually standing on a P ratio of less than one times. And, 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 and I emphasize this company is well funded and it already has as much funding, we believe, as it needs long term, uh, other than it might move into new areas. But, 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 but aside from that, so basically the risk reward ratio was astonishingly good. Now, clearly, subsequent to that period, we've seen quite strong copper prices. They produce copper and some of the PGM, the platinum group metals have also been very strong. Uh, and currently the share price has moved up to 21 pence now. So effectively, it's gone up effectively nearly 10 times um, and it's now on a P of 10. Extraordinary. So we don't see any reason for it to not be one of our largest holdings and it remains one of our largest holdings in spite of that. Yeah. And are there quite a number of companies still in the portfolio like that? Yes, there are. I mean, we have taken quite a few profits along the way, as you'd expect. Some companies have actually uh, risen very, very substantially along with Jubilee Platinum, but their valuations aren't 10 times. They're much higher than that. So for that point, yes. of view, you take some of those profits. And yes, there have been new opportunities to bring into the portfolio along the way as well. So the risk reward ratio has improved. If anything, we, we try to to, to try and reduce the correlation uh, of the portfolio. So if you get some holdings which all move together in a correlated fashion, then we try and reduce some of those so that the remaining portfolio continues to have a nice balance uh, and hopefully that dilutes risk and provides diversification for clients. Okay, thank you. Can, can you give us, on, on the smaller companies' funds and on, on, on MINI, the trust, can you give us a couple of examples of the kind of names you might have been bringing in recently? Yes, I mean, a good examples, a couple of examples recently. I mean, both of these are placings from companies which are already existing. They're secondary placings. Um, uh, the first one was a company called Helium One. Uh, as you know, helium is a, a gas, a bit like hydrogen. Um, it's used particularly in technology, uh, all sorts of technical applications, as well as for the balloons. Uh, most particularly, there's probably a great demand for helium going forward. And Helium One, it's found an area in the world where it likes to think that it's got 
particular circumstances, which has trapped quite a lot of helium uh, under the crust of the earth. It's in the, it's, it's in the Red Valley uh, in Africa. And most particularly, if they're right, and, and they've already got some early data and they're drilling three more wells, then they could become probably the largest producer of helium in the world. Extraordinary, extraordinary for a little tiny company to be in that kind of position. Tanzania is the, the, the country it's actually located in. Anyway, um, so th there's a good opportunity. Um, the share price has already bounced a bit, but, but we've only been invested for about six weeks so far. Um, yeah. Uh, another example is Quadrize Fuels, maybe. Uh, again, a company which has got a lot of long-term hard work, basically finding a way to try and reduce carbon emissions of particularly shipping uh, 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 you know, ships basically when they go around the world, uh, but it can be used for other things such as drying and things. So they basically take bunker fuel and they reduce the carbon footprint by adding uh, uh, various additives and that reduces, get the same energy out, but you just get much less carbon, probably 15%, sometimes more uh, saving. So they're just in major trials with large shipping companies around the world. Um, all being well, if that gets introduced and we think it's very likely to get introduced, then we believe that that company again is a world leader in its own industry. You know, it's, it's had sort of eight or 10 years of R&D, and now it's at the cash payback phase with uh, substantial cash payback. So it just shows there's even now when markets are moving into new highs uh, and many of the valuations on some of the, uh, the most popular stocks are very high, we are still finding individual stocks, which we consider to be very overlooked with the potential for immediate uh, cash flow over the short to medium term. That's very interesting. Very interesting sounding companies. I have to confess, I'd never thought about the production of helium before. Um, fant fantastic. Thank, thank you, Gervais. Um, something else that drove your, your success uh, last year across your funds were these put options on the FTSE 100. Now, buying these put options has been a feature of your process for a few years. Can you, can you explain why and tell us a bit more about that? Yes, I mean, the, the nature of put options is they're uh, they, they go up when the stock market goes down. Um, so that's the, the, the nature of them. And, and we like things which are diversifying for our clients' risk. So uh, if you've got uh, quite a lot of stocks which go up when the stock market goes up, uh, if you can find some things which are more defensive uh, when the market, stock market goes down, that tends to moderate the fall and, and, and reduce it. So put options from that point of view um, have real advantage in terms of diversification. The nightmare about, about put options is a bit like your car insurance or your house insurance. Uh, they have a term, you know, you insure for a year and then if you don't claim in that year, you've lost your money. So generally put options uh, tend to uh, expire worthless because stock markets don't crash very often uh, because these things particularly work when the market crashes. Um, so we've had them over recent years and we've tried to keep costs right down. We've only put them in the portfolio because we believe that the insurance costs, the put option costs, the decay costs uh, have actually been quite low. Um, uh, ultra low really compared to historic things and generally although markets have been volatile over the last four or five years they haven't claimed uh, uh, and they haven't made uh, you know they cost our clients a little bit of money each year about one percent or so uh, we what happened last year i.e 2020 was um, clearly we we saw uh, a, a very big drawdown um, and the valuation of these put options didn't go up just because the stock market fell they also went up because the cost of people buying into volatility uh, also rose and, and we don't uh, we don't know what's going to happen in the future but if people are desperate to buy put options off us and they were in March of this last 12 months 
um, effectively, um, they can have them. I mean, you know, they can have any of our stocks if they're desperate <laughs> enough, right? So they were, they were, you know, they were very, very keen, um, and, and that that boosted the cash. It helped a little bit on the way down in terms of bringing assets, but most particularly, it boosted the cash at the bottom, allowed our clients to invest in additional companies at the bottom, which then gave more upside. So yes, it was helpful to the returns. To be honest, even if you look at the returns subsequent to the put options being exercised, actually the funds continue to perform well even without a put option. So the put option isn't the reason the funds are performed. It was just another little help to help the funds produce a better return through that crisis. Yes. Okay. Th thanks for that explanation. And I'm curious, across the strategies, have you, uh, as the UK market started to recover a bit, ha have you bought put options again? Yeah, I mean, we tend to only buy put options when they're disgustingly cheap and um, they're not disgustingly cheap at the moment. Um, if they were disgustingly cheap, we'd have to look at them. But um but we don't need to worry about it because uh, the market's probably still too anxious about uh, market setbacks and therefore uh, the, the, the premiums we pay for the insurance is too high. I see. So it's when people start to get complacent again that, that they uh, start to look more attractive. Absolutely. We're, we're always happy to look at things which are what we consider very overlooked in valuation. And as I say, less correlated with uh, other holdings in our portfolio. OK, thank you. Now, Gervais, you're you're something of a, an evangelist, if if I if I can say that for UK small caps. I'm curious, compared to the rest of the world, is there something that stands out about UK smaller companies, or is it just a case that you have these lots of tiny companies most people have never heard of, and that means there are going to be these bargains around? Now, the great advantage about small companies and micro caps, particularly, is that they are companies where uh, they can grow even when the world's not growing. You know, they're younger businesses, they're often serving immature markets. And so what we saw with the global recession in the last 12 months was quite a lot of companies really having struggling, uh, you know, trading conditions and, and, and really, uh, you know, needing extra cash and all that kind of thing. Well, well most of our companies continue to trade well. Uh, it, you know, it wasn't so much that they were uh, unaffected by it, but, but some of them actually, you know, the, the changes accelerated their growth. Others took advantage of the weakness of some of the competition, which were caught out. So from that point of view, they're able to grow better when things aren't so certain. And generally, the last 30 years particularly, it's been a good period when, when globalization has been there and the very largest companies have often uh, taken market positions which have served and dominated the world supply. But now we're in a period of less certainty. You know, there's more anxiety about long uh, range uh, supply lines. The political cost of not having local suppliers of vaccine or PPE is all coming uh, to the point where actually uh, people are changing their behavior and they're now more keen to have uh, uh, local suppliers. Uh, and that's going to be very good news for, for, for quoted companies. And the key issue isn't just, again, that they're small and they're immature, but they're listed. And, and why does that make a difference? Well, if you do find an opportunity, you know, we've had companies which have made acquisitions, perhaps K3 Capital, which is in our uh, diverse income and the Premier Might and UK Multicap Income Fund. It, you know, in the teeth of the crisis about a year ago, uh, it, it was, it made two acquisitions. Um, it issued new shares at £1.50 each, um, which it described as transformational at the time. Uh, and yes. they, they were transformational in a way because the uh, companies uh, had a number of trading uh, statements since then. And the share price has moved up to 344 pence uh, since that time. So that's been a wonderful thing. So again, being quoted and small means that if you make a, an acquisition, which is a good one, it can have a disproportionate effect on, on a small business relative to a larger business. So, so most particularly, that's been a big driver of potential. And if we have a more unsettled world going forward because you know we've got too much debt or we've got other things to worry about, then actually small quoted companies themselves 
are a different type of investment universe compared with most of the mainstream companies. And, and the UK economy itself, probably the prospects for the UK economy aren't that different from most other uh, uh, world markets. But most particularly, the UK stock market is nearly unique. There are very, very few uh, uh, markets out there which have a vibrant universe, not of, not of mid caps, but small micro caps with the ability to grow when the world's not growing and with the ability to do transformational deals. Okay, so so the depth, the, the sheer number of these smaller companies in the uh, smaller quoted companies in the UK is a bit unusual. Absolutely, um, I, I think it's almost unique um, in that I can't think of many companies countries where where this where this is a, a big feature. Uh, we very fortunate in the UK have kept uh, the infrastructure around them, you know, the brokers and the, and the advisors uh, and the uh, you know the government support and all the rest of it. So basically, you know, we we go through this. If you take the view that globalization has peaked out to some degree and and that was all about scale and and, and, and bigness um, perhaps going forward beyond globalization we need more smallness what i'm saying is the uk stock market excels in smallness uh, and that we could be particularly well positioned for all the challenges coming uh, in the future okay that's interesting and how if i can press you a bit more on that point about the kind of end of globalization i think this is something you've actually written a, a book about before um so kind of can you tell us a bit more about that thesis and how, how convinced are you about it, I suppose? Yes, it's a book which was actually published five years ago, actually. Now. So it's, it's 2016, which is amazing, really, when you think of how much things have moved on. But the, the basic thesis is that QE works by distorting market prices. So quantitative easing, uh, the buying back of bonds uh, is a feature which pushes uh, valuations of bonds up and that drags up asset values. And, and it makes it easier for corporates generally to raise money. But most particularly, unfortunately, it distorts market prices. And if you keep distorting market prices and quantitative easing has been used off and on since 2008. So we've had 12 years, 13 years of, of distortion of market prices where you get misallocated capital, uh, productivity and wage growth flat, uh, you know, stagnate. And that's where we've been really since 2007. Uh, and so there's the, there's the electorate out there, the, the bulk of the electorate haven't had a decent pay rise since 2007. Uh, and that's really making them uh, very uh, uh, so unconvinced that just more of the same is the right way forward. And we are seeing people changing their investment, their, their, their electoral preferences, not just the Trump election, uh, you know, obviously four years ago. Uh, but Brexit, I think, was an example of that. And I think the, 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 the two recent elections, 2019 and indeed some of the local uh, and, and regional elections we've had uh, recently, are showing that people are willing to change their mind and back a different uh, uh, type of uh, uh, expectation in terms of policies. We need something which is different as far as the electric is concerned. And I think that will mean that uh, the globalization, which was very much the political consensus for the last 30 years, has very much started breaking down. You've seen much more nationalism going forward. You've seen tension across borders. You've seen the move away from uh, buying from long distance supply lines and having more localism and all that kind of thing. So I think there's been a sea change. Uh, and yeah. particularly, uh, as I say, I think the UK stock market and I think small quoted companies particularly are well positioned to address uh, and continue to thrive in this new uh, climate. Okay, thank you, Devez. Before you mentioned AIM, the, the alternative investment market. Now, AIM performed brilliantly last year uh, and you've got lots of exposure there. What, what makes AIM a, a good hunting ground? Well, the nature of AIM was it was set up originally to be uh, a, a stock market was more appropriate to companies which are younger, more immature, 
uh, proportionate regulation and all those kinds of things. And I think that's been a feature uh, of the AIM market. Uh, some companies have grown to be very large. There are some companies a bit like some of the US unicorns, some of these uh, high growth stocks, which are investing hard to generate more uh, growth in the future at the top end companies of the AIM market. Like Companies like Boohoo and those kinds of things. Assos and all that kind of thing. Uh, but most particularly, um, uh, you know, both of those are moving to profit. So I'm talking about some of the unprofitable ones as well. But, but most particularly, uh, alongside that, and people think of those high profile companies because they've risen so far, but there's a lot of ordinary companies, regular companies generating cash and, and generating more cash next year. Some of them are paying dividends. Some of them are paying good and growing dividends. So from that point of view, actually, it's a great investment universe. Uh, what's tended to happen is that many of the uh, investors have tried to pick out some of the mini unicorns in the hope of making their best returns. And if anything, that's meant that many of the mainstream ordinary companies generating more cash and, and such like have been out of fashion, partly because of Brexit, partly because of uncertainty about the government, partly because, um, you know, people are looking for uh, very high returns in that, that market. But generally, that's meant that actually the aim market is still uh, offering uh, opportunities to invest in companies like we mentioned earlier, Helium One, yes. Worldwide Fuels. These are companies where they're issuing shares at what we consider to be already lowly valued, and the outcome of the extra capital is uh, delivering much more upside going forward. It's, it's a terrific uh, risk reward ratio in many of the AIM companies, but also some of the small quoted companies and some of the Aquis Exchange companies. We look at them all. We're not too worried where they're listed. We're interested in the risk reward ratio and how it's correlated with the rest of our portfolio. Yeah, but just to put numbers on it, I think the Mighton UK Microcap Trust about eighty-five percent of the portfolio is uh, quoted or named. So you know, you you are quite you you look there a lot. Let's let's put it like that. Well, I mean, to be honest, there are very many companies quoted on the A market. There's more quoted companies yeah. below one hundred fifty million market cap, and that includes some companies on the mainstream. Uh, and main, main list, listing of the LSE and uh, the stock exchange and, and some of the Aquas ones. But there's more quoted companies below 150 million market cap than there's above. I mean, it's, it's a vibrant universe. Really? It's an overlooked universe. And there's plenty to look at and find uh, mispriced companies, which allow us to add value through stock selection, uh, through investing in these companies. OK, thank you. Now, uh, as I said, AIM, AIM had a good, good year last year. I think the market was up about 22 percent, while the FTSE 100 fell about. 12% in uh, 2020. But uh, nonetheless, uh, as measured by the AIM all share, I think AIM has only just surpassed its pre-financial crisis level, um, which is quite remarkable, really. So a strong 2020 followed a difficult decade. Is there a reason to think that AIM could keep doing better from here? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think um, if you look back, actually, uh, the AIM index started at 1,000 when it first set up 25 years ago. So basically, it's hardly gone anywhere. It's, it's now standing at 1260 or so. so. So it's effectively gone sideways for almost uh, 25 years. So uh, it's been a disappointing return. And that's because what's happened is a lot of AIM has had, a lot of AIM issues have been very frothy. If you think of the dot-com, there was an awful lot of companies which came to the market. They boosted the, the value of AIM. You know, everyone got very excited. And then, of course, unfortunately, many of these companies didn't produce much return. And it wasn't just that they didn't, you know, perform well many of them went down and quite a few of them went bust or didn't succeed at all so from that point of view there have been quite a lot of uh, boosts in terms of issuance particularly speculative issuance uh, and the same thing happened back in 2006 and such like when we had all a very early stage uh, uh, mineral companies and mining companies and such like um, but I think what's happened about the AIM market more over the last four or five years is there's many more regular companies 
producing income and growing uh, income and all that kind of stuff. I think the AIM market still has some, some mini unicorns at the top, which are a bit more speculative. But I think the, the nature of AIM has matured and we're not dominated by relatively recent issues, which were very fashionable and well marketed at the time. But we've got many more established companies which are generating cash paybacks, which uh, we think is the key driver of long term return. Uh, and, and, and that's meant that actually the AIM market is in a great position to outperform. As I say, smallness could be the way forward. Many of these AIM companies won't just, you know, continue to thrive because they can find areas which can grow when the world's not growing, but they can also add uh, extra return by buying assets from uh, distressed sellers, perhaps the receiver. Uh, and of course, all of that investment which has gone on prior to the company going bust uh, generates a cash return. And so those acquisitions are just brilliant, not just for the staff which are being acquired, but actually for the acquirer in generating extra cash going forward. So, so overall, we think the AIM market is particularly well positioned to generate premium rate performance going forward. That's great. Thanks very much, Gervais. Um, just to touch on the uh, Mighton UK Microcap Trust Mini again, it, it's itself a, a pretty small trust, about 119 million market capitalization, I think. But I, I believe it's designed that way. Can you, can you tell me a bit more about that and why it's important? Yes, the nature of the fund is it's, it's invested in microcaps. Um, therefore, although we have you know 120 holdings or whatever in the portfolio, uh, it's never going to be a portfolio which is going to be billions, to be honest. It, you can't mix uh, scalable, very large portfolios with tininess. Uh, so it's always been limited. It can scale up, it, you know, it's maybe 119 million at the moment, but most particularly, we've always said it could get to 250 or 300 million uh, in due course if there was investor support and if it was doing well. Um, so it can scale up. But most particularly, it's never going to be a giant portfolio. Um, it's always going to be an investment trust, which is a very appropriate structure because, uh, as you know, investment trusts, they don't have daily in, uh, ins and outs in terms of flows. You, you buy and sell stock on the market. You don't tend to see in, in, uh, inflows and outflows of the fund itself, which means that the fund actually can invest on a slightly longer term basis. Uh, and that means ultimately, uh, hopefully, can drive uh, very attractive returns over the long term. Okay, thank you. And I, I suppose just just a la last point on uh, this kind of smaller companies and micro caps. We've touched on it a bit, but broadly, what, what what's the outlook like at the moment? And it, do you think there's still a kind of valuation opportunity post Brexit, or have investors come back into the market and valuations aren't quite as cheap as they were? Certainly, some stocks have moved up very substantially. Um, I mentioned Jubilee uh, Metals earlier on, uh, which has you know, gone up tenfold, but it still isn't expensive in our valuation metrics. So there's still plenty of value out there. But we would argue most particularly that um, the, the prospect for the bottom end of the market is, is very attractive, partly because the UK is still recovering from the Brexit. And I think valuations across most of the UK, not just small companies, but across the full range of UK quoted companies, hasn't fully reflected the potential after Brexit. So I think that's the first feature. The second feature is that I think there's been a real uh, emphasis on, on some of the companies growing uh, with high uh, forecasts for growth, um, some of the mini unicorns. And I think that's meant that uh, many of the uh, ordinary companies are, are overlooked. And then actually we've got quite a few stocks at the AIM market, which because they're small and institutional interest is very low because they want to uh, mainly concentrate on mid and large caps, um, has meant that actually there are one-off valuations which are completely out of line where you could make more return going forward. So, so coming back to it, you know, we find the risk reward ratio is particularly attractive in the UK. We think it's, it's, it's better still in many of the small quoted companies. And for our investment universe, where we're investing for imminent cash payback over the short to medium term, we think the valuations in some cases are just still absolutely 
particularly attractive at the moment. It's quite extraordinary when we've got, you know, many of the mainstream new, you know, indices moving to new highs over a sort of 10 or 12 year period since 2008. Um, and we're still finding some individual companies, quoted companies, uh, because of circumstances, um, still standing on what we consider to be very, very overlooked valuations. Okay, that that sounds exciting. Thank you. So let, let's talk a bit more about your, your income funds, if that's all right. So the Diverse Income Trust and Premier Might and UK Multicap Income Fund. Now, the evisceration really of you, of dividends in the UK was, was a bit of a feature of the market last year. How, how did your funds hold up on dividends? Uh, generally, uh, we did see a peak out uh, of, of, of income. We did have some companies which uh, in, in March, April, May of last year were just alarmed by what was going on. They didn't know what was going to happen. We thought uh, they were relatively strong in balance sheet terms. We felt their, their prospects were still uh, reasonably uh, firm, but, but they felt just anxious and that led to many of them cutting, div cutting dividends. Uh, these funds both have a May year end. So over the period to May 2020, we saw uh, companies which were expecting to pay dividends, not paying dividends. So overall, the income over that period was were down 17% in both cases because they're both very similar portfolios. Uh, subsequently, what we've seen is many companies which did cut their dividends then became uh, more reassured. They could see that the, the costs of, uh, of staff, uh, excess staff, were, were being helped by the by, you know, furlough scheme and such like, which meant that actually, subsequently, companies then said, well, actually, um, we, we probably overreacted. Um, you know, we can actually see that the prospects for our customers uh, are still pretty good. Therefore, we can uh, continue to pay dividends. In some cases, some of the companies which didn't take furlough payments have actually uh, made up for the dividends they cut. So we've seen a, a sort of catch up trade in terms of income uh, and for the year to May 2021 uh, in, a, in a month's time. Effectively, we think there'll be uh, an improvement on where we were in 2020. Whether it will be as good as 2019, we'll have to see. But the main thing is that we're finding companies which are generating not just cash, but cash paybacks, surplus cash that's driving dividend growth. So not just this year, but next year and the year after, we think that the position is looking pretty good. OK. And can you sort of quickly summarise what the outlook's like for those funds at the moment? Are you, are you excited about the opportunities you're finding or how's it been going? I mean, the great advantage is that there's many companies which are continuing to thrive and succeed. These are multi-cap approach. So we've got some mainstream companies which are continuing to, to expand their dividends and we've got some of those. But we've also got quite a few companies on the A market which are generating income, good and growing income, because they're in specialist markets, because they've taken advantage of, of opportunities like K3 Capital, as I mentioned, to, to actually enhance their, 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 their cash generation and pay extra dividends going forward. So the underlying position is that we've got a, a vast range of individual holdings, typically about 140 holdings, uh, 130, 140 holdings across these funds, which means that each of individual position is quite small, each individual contribution towards income is quite small, but across the broad range of these companies, uh, the prospects for income and income growth have been uh, renewed. And that's meaning that they're well positioned, uh, not just to generate income growth, but also uh, as that income growth comes through, that drives capital appreciation. So the income plus the capital appreciation uh, has been pretty strong over the last 12 months. OK, thanks very much, Gervais. Now, a bit of a change of tack here. But uh, I thought it'd be interesting to ask you about this. I think about 15 or 16 years ago, uh, now, but it was reported that you once remortgaged your house to invest in the Japanese market. I'm curious, how did that work out in the end? And, and have you made any more calls like that recently? Yes, I mean, I'm, you know, that was just a personal thing. I mean, 
it, it wasn't a remortgaging a house. I, 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 I'd saved up some money and I was going to pay back part of the mortgage. And in the end, we used some of that mortgage to, to, to buy some, some Japanese stocks. I mean, if you remember, at that time, the Japanese market had fallen from 1989. It got to an ultra low valuation. There was an awful lot of cash in these companies. Uh, the risk reward ratio looked very attractive. Why not? Um, so we did invest. But coming back to that, I mean, what's interesting is more recently, um, we've been buying into, I've been, you know, myself um, and, and, and my partner, we've bought into uh, more of our, our funds because the risk reward ratio over the last 12 months has been amazing when you look back to where the fund was uh, you know say a year ago or such like the returns have been uh, very strong uh, and so this has been a good time recently not necessarily take a mortgage out and i wouldn't advocate <laughs> take a debt to invest in the stock market that's really not a good way forward but it does mean that the, 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 the you know we feel we've had some terrific opportunities at home to, to invest for those kinds of very exciting attractive risk reward ratios that's very interesting thank you now, you manage your, your funds and trusts with uh, Martin Turner, but I, I think you do, your colleague Martin Turner, but I think you do most of the media and investor relations. I hope, I hope you don't mind me asking, but are, are you thinking about retiring at all in the, in the next few years? And at that point, would we see Martin take up the mantle? No, we work very well together. In fact, I mean, it's been interesting. I mean, I'm, I, I like doing, uh, you know, engaging with the media and, and, and engaging with investors. Martin does, you know, quite a bit of it himself. There's no restriction on, on either of, of us. Uh, but most particularly, um, I mean, I've been waiting 30 years for the UK microcap sector to recover. This isn't the time to walk off the pitch. You must be completely <laughs> you know, I'm absolutely loving it. I, I don't have any ideas. I've got no thoughts of retirement. Okay, that that's fantastic. So ne next few years, we should definitely expect you to keep doing what you're doing. Well, I mean, it's been terrific recently, but but much more importantly, I mean, it's not just about you know investing on on, on clients' behalf to make good returns. You know, a lot of this capital goes to companies which actually themselves generate uh, extra skilled employment. They generate more domestic growth. They actually generate more tax take. You know, this is actually what stock market investing is about. It's not just about looking after your own clients, but actually looking after the social good of, of the rest of the community. And I don't think we say that enough. Uh, and that's particularly strong in the bottom end of the market. We've loved doing it for the last, you know, 30, 35 years since I've started. But most particularly, you know, there's going to be more need for this going forward. Uh, and that's going to be an important thing which we must continue with. OK, well, fantastic, Gervais. Thanks very much. I think I think that's probably a good point to wrap things up. So, yeah, once again, th thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you, Jeremy.